week three of Advent is about joy. And today we turn our attention to a priest named Zechariah. In this biblical account, he was serving in the temple of God, burning incense in worship while people were playing, praying outside. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This angel brought Zechariah an unbelievable promise. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had not been blessed with a child. The angel declared that Elizabeth would give birth to a son and went on to say, he will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. Joy is one of the great messages of Christmas and one of God's unbroken promises to us today as well. This joy is a commodity that is in short supply in our world. There are people all around us who are miserable. Many are brokenhearted over the pain of life. Others are hopeless in the face of suffering. Pain and sorrow surround us. Author Leo Bogosia tells a story about his mother and their misery dinner. The family was faced with bankruptcy because the father's partner had absconded with the firm's funds. His, his mother went out and sold jewelry to buy food for a wonderful dinner, a great feast. Other members of the family scolded her for it, but she told them, the time for joy is now. There is no need to wait for it. We need it most. The time for joy is when we need it most, not next week. Now is the time for sharing the joy that comes through Jesus Christ. The most joyful people during this time of year are the ones who believe in the promises of God and have experienced the hope and peace of God in their lives because of their trust in Jesus. Today, we take time to remember the joy that comes through the birth of God's Son. This Christmas, may we rejoice in the good news of a God who came near to all of us in the form of a baby and who died for all of us to give us grace. His promises remain unbroken. Amen. I think it's appropriate for us to stand and we're going to sing this song loud and proud. Amen. Here we go. Joy to the world. Come on. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing.
Come on, church. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. invite you guys back tonight to our children's Christmas uh, musical. It is going to be a musical full of joy, and so if you have kids that are involved in that, you know where they need to be when. But if you don't have kids, we invite you back to support these uh, students. It's, they've put on or put in a lot of work, and so it's going to be a great night. That's going to be right here in the main auditorium tonight at 5.30. So you probably have already guessed that uh, I'm not Pastor Gary. He's been invited to speak uh, during the Christmas holiday season to a place in uh, South Dakota, so he'll be back later tonight. So you're stuck with me. (laughs) Um, So we've been talking over the last few weeks about the unbroken promises of Advent, and so Pastor Gary uh, talked in week number one about uh, the person of Simeon, about hope, that uh, it's a hope that God, that, that gives us is a hope that doesn't disappoint, right? And then in last week, he talked about the shepherds, how that we're not to fear God's peace, that God defends his promise of peace over us and to us. And today, we move forward in week number three, talking about the unbroken promise of joy. And I was thinking about this, that there's nothing that seems to produce joy more than a song, like, in the right moment, right? Have you ever just turned on the radio Um, or put in some music and just realized that, um, man, that song really hit me. It helped me. And so I was thinking about that. I wonder what the most joy-filled song that's ever been produced anywhere, ever. So, you know, you turn to the most um, creative source of wisdom out there, Google, And I ask Google, what's the most joy-filled song ever produced? And then right away, it gives me lots of lists to choose from. But uh, among the top was Walking on Sunshine. So then I thought, well, I wonder if uh, AI would agree with Google. And uh, so I turned over to ChatGPT. And I asked, what is the most joy-filled song? And Don't Stop Believing by Journey. I, I didn't write this. I'm just, I'm just Googling people. I'm just chat GPTing. But on both lists, there was one like common thread. There was this one song called Happy by Pharrell Williams. You've probably heard that, right? And it, it, it made me kind of think about this, that I think that uh, the world often looks at joy, and I think if we're not careful, we could look at joy and think that happiness equals joy, right? But I want to try to uh, kind of expand our, our 
our boundaries on what joy looks like this morning. And I found this video, this viral video, that is not something that's new, but it's been remixed earlier this year and put back on social media. And when it did, it hit over 100 million views across all platforms, rising to number six globally on the charts. And so I thought, would it be appropriate to show that this morning? Yes, it would. Check it out. I don't wanna act too high and mighty cause tomorrow I may fall down on my face. Lord, thank you for sunshine, thank you for rain, thank you for joy, thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day, it's a beautiful day. So this morning we're going to look at another story of joy, and it's the story of Zechariah. And when we, we talk about this idea of joy in the New Testament, we don't find the word happy written. Rather, you find rejoicing or celebrating. You find at the root of the word that grace is there. You find favor. In fact, some have suggested that joy is the product of grace recognized, that it's the awareness of grace and broken down in the word, it's this idea of God leaning forward or leaning toward. And so when we look at Luke chapter 1, it's filled with joy. It sets the tone for the reader to understand that joy follows the understanding that God is leaning toward us. And so we open up the story right with... Um, Zachariah and uh, his wife Elizabeth and they, it, it makes it very clear that these are good people they're righteous people and uh, Zachariah was a priest at the temple and he was it was his time to go in and to light the incense and while he goes in he is met 
by an angel that tells him, don't be afraid, you're going to have a son. Your prayer has been answered. And I was thinking about that. Some have suggested, was it the prayer of his duty that day, the prayer for a Messiah, or the long prayer of having a child? But either way, the answer is the same for Zechariah. Are you serious? Like, really? Now, I don't think that's too far of a stretch for any of us to get to, because think about that kind of a prayer and what the announcement is saying. He's old, right? And there are prayers that we've been praying, and sometimes I think that we can take those prayers and put them away and lay them to rest, but yet God has different intentions for them. And in this story, you find that. It says, the angel says, God has heard your prayers. He hears our prayers. And when we see that, it can fill us with joy. In fact, the angel says that this child will be a joy to you, that when you see this child, it will be evidence of God is leaning toward you. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will lead his people back to God. He will make ready the people prepared for the Lord. But Zechariah didn't believe, so he couldn't speak until John's birth. In fact, when Mary visited Elizabeth, the baby leapt for joy. The neighbors, when John was born, gathered around to share in the birth of John. They celebrated in this joy. This whole chapter is about joy. And when Zechariah wrote the name down, it says that his tongue was set free and he began to praise God. Then he goes on immediately following this, to this great declaration of what it's called as Zachariah's song. And I would suggest to you that this song is a song of joy. It's a wellspring of joy that flows from recognizing that God is leaning in toward his promises. And I think if we could capture this reality this morning, that if we can lean on these same promises, that it will renew our joy in discovering just how close God really is. So this morning, the promise of joy, I would suggest to you, is one of simple beginnings. How do you start? You start by being filled with the Spirit. Taking the cap off of your life, if you will, and saying, God, I need you. If you compartmentalize God in your life, that's like putting a lid on. And so I kind of want to just illustrate it this way this morning, that if this represents all of the things that we do from day to day in our compartments. And this represents the compartment that we give God. You know, sometimes we can say, I'm full of the Spirit, but maybe it's more that your compartment is full, but not letting it bleed over into the other areas of your life. Do you know that's different? It's different. So look at this. If these represent all of what we do on a daily basis... And this represents our capacity of fullness, our compartment. Look at how it colors our life. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about, God, where's the joy at? How can I get more joy? It's the recognition that God is leaning in. Now, take that same um, concept and idea and then take the same priorities that you have. I'm not suggesting that you change your priorities. God might change those priorities, but I'm just saying, take your day-to-day, put it in the glass, 
pour it out. And then take his spirit and apply it to every part of your day. You see the difference? It's different. So when God's spirit fills your life, what do you do? When he's stirring your life, you let it pour out. And that is what you see in the story of Zechariah's song. The Holy Spirit fills him up and he begins to prophesy. Do you know that word prophecy hasn't been spoken in 400 years? It's been silent, but Zechariah, this person who didn't believe, but nine months later is now declaring something prophetically. He's the first person to give voice to the prophetic. And then he does so in this great declaration is what I suggest to you is joy. Because he let it flow out. And so I had this kind of same experience because I don't believe that he just gathered everybody around and he just said, hey, I'm about ready to prophesy and you guys need to hear this. I really think it was just this overflow of what God was doing and afterwards it was probably like, what was that? That was God. I've been there. In fact, I was there a few weeks ago when I was on my way into work and I'm just going throughout my day and I just prayed this simple prayer. God, what are you even doing? What are you doing? Right? And I, I'm not even saying that it was like this great, tremendous prayer of faith. It was just like, God, what's up? I want, I want to see you do something. So I went into work and I'm, I'm preparing my message and I get a knock on my door and it's Ron. And uh, he says, hey, there's this guy out here who's doing the electrical work out here on the slight pole on the side of the building, and he, he's got a question for you, you needs something, and, and uh, so you need to come here. And I already had an exchange with this guy a, a few weeks earlier, and it wasn't a great exchange. It was just very cold and not very warm, so I'm like, you know what, let's just go get it over with. I'll just go out there and do whatever I have to do. So I walk out there, and Ron walks out with me, and we meet the guy, and immediately he's asking me not really about the pull. He just starts talking to me about the world. And he's like, hey, you know, the world is just crazy. He's like, I don't, I, he's like, I don't, can't put my finger on it, but it's pretty obvious, like, there's, like, this battle of good and evil. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. And he just keeps going, and he talks about various things, and you can't trust people, you can't trust the government, you can't trust all these things. And I'm just like, you know what, I understand what you're saying, but that's why Jesus said that you can trust him. He's not a hypocrite. And we're talking back and forth. And he's like, well, how do you know you can even trust the translations that are out there? And I'm like, well, you can trust them. You can, put, you can open them up and find salvation in any one of them. It can lead you to Christ. So I'm just going back and forth, and I am not kidding you. It's like one of those moments where you know God's there. And it's like everything that he's saying to me is like Teflon. It's falling off, and everything's going back to him that is sticking. And I will tell you, the part that like got him the most is I just was like, okay, you want to do this. So I just strapped in him, and I'm just like, hey, I'm going to share my testimony with you. And I just said, I can tell you this. I can tell you the place and the moment where God showed up and spoke to my life about I don't have to know, I, I, I can know that I'm saved. And when I said, just talking about that experience, he walked over to the fence and just like leaned over on it, totally enthralled and captivated. God was leaning in. Yeah. 
And I wish I could tell you that like he prayed the prayer of salvation. He didn't. But I can tell you he walked away from that conversation understanding a little bit more and leaning a little bit closer into God. And both Ron and I went back in inside and like we're smiling on both of our faces. Like joy was there because we realized what was that? God was leaning in. So when God's spirit works in on the inside of you and you let it overflow to every part of your day, joy is there. Joy ensues. It was fascinating. It was awesome. It was awesome. But the promise of joy is also found in redemption, right? You probably already knew that. But in this song, the song opens up about God who is leaning in for this one primary purpose, redemption, redeeming his people. I want you to know this. When we talk about redemption and we talk about Jesus, and I hope you can gather this from Christmas, that salvation and redemption is completely personal to God. You're completely personal to him. He's so moved that he got personally involved in the solution. God so loved that he gave. And even in the song, it talks about how he redeems his people. He redeemed us to save us. He raised up a horn of salvation in in the house of his servant David. That's a mighty deliverance he's talking about. A celebration of getting ready. I'm talking about being saved, people. Do you remember what it was like the moment that you got saved and you knew you were saved? Is anybody in here today? I'm talking about salvation. He moved in to save his people, us. And if you hear this horn of salvation, if you hear the the spirit working in your lives today, scripture says, don't harden your heart, but rather respond. I bought a motorcycle several years back and when I got it home, I thought I bought a, a great deal and the tires were brand new but as I got got it home and looked at it the tires were like never used it had the knobs all on them but it was all weather checked completely cracked it looked fine it looked like it had life to give but upon looking closer it it was hard don't harden your heart whatever questions you have about this life trust Jesus you can trust him you are completely personal to him. He leaned in in redemption to forgive us, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Did you ever want to just know that you know that you know that you're saved, right? How do you know the path? It's easy. It's called forgiveness that Jesus came into this world and he died on the cross for you and for me so that you can be forgiven. So, what do you do with that? You stop striving to be good enough and let his good just cover you. That's what it's about. To save, to forgive, and to rescue. To rescue his people from the enemy. Scripture says, your work is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Your greatest enemy is not your enemy. The scripture says our enemy is spiritual darkness. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness and, 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 and things in high places. There's a source of evil that we cannot see. Our brokenness is our enemy. The wages of sin is death. Our mortal bodies will die. Death is our enemy. But Jesus takes the sting out of death. Listen to what scripture says, that when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them with the cross. I mean, think about that, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Come on, somebody. Is anybody in this place? He's here to rescue us, to set us free. If Listen, I'm just going to say this. If he was worried about a mess, he would have thrown up caution signs. If he was worried about it smelling like septic, like Pastor Nathan was talking about, like he might have thrown out like some deodorizers, but he didn't do that on planet Earth. He didn't make it smell better and like overlook the problem. He didn't put up a caution and say, hey, you guys, you know what? Don't anybody go there. He threw caution to the wind. He got personally involved in the mess. He's very thoroughly involved in that so that you could be saved. What does that look like? In the song, it talks about what that looks like, that he will enable to serve us without fear. There's an emotional transformation that happens, a moral transformation to be able to serve him in holiness and righteousness before all of his days. There's a spiritual transformation that he gives us that spiritual life that enables us to serve him. Do you know what that means? That he can completely transform our lives. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means when Jesus redeems us. Then you talk about, in this song, the joy that's found in declaring his promises. He's the promised king. Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. You've probably heard that before. Think about that. All of what's contained in this King Jesus and his own people missed it. They did. You know why they missed it? Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They didn't. They wanted him to be somebody else. They wanted him to line up with where they were. And think about this. I wonder in our own lives and the struggles that we have might just be so simplistic of just, you know, saying, Jesus, I trust you to be king over my life. Remove your expectations just a little bit and say, God, whatever you expect, I want that. That could change everything if we would lean in on that promise, this declaration that's happening in this song. 
Jesus, King Jesus, came to us as a servant king. He was anointed, listen, to bring the good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring freedom, to bring sight to the blind, to bring wholeness to the hurting and the afflicted. It was about anointing. The anointing is about helping others, serving others. That's what this king did. The promise of declaring the promised seed. Jesus is that promised seed that he made to Abraham. That through this seed all nations would be blessed. That's Jesus. And we obtain that that connection to that seed by faith, Hebrews tells us. That we lay hold of that by faith. But yet when you look at Hebrews, when it talks about that hall of faith, all of these including Abraham. They were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now think about that. The seed. The problem with seeds I think about is that we already know what they produce. Now think about this. An apple seed produces apples. An orange seed produces oranges. Kingdom seeds produce kingdom fruit. We already know what they should produce, but what we don't know is how they work, and we don't always know the process of the working. In fact, listen to this in Mark 4. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. There's something that works underneath that he, the farmer has no knowledge of. The seed of promise does its best work where we can't see it. It is working. But yet, there's this other piece of it that I want to bring to attention. That a seed must die to take on new life. No longer a seed with potential but becomes a work of promise. First Corinthians, when you sow, you do not plant the body but th- that will be. It's just a seed, perhaps weed or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. So it will be in the resurrection of the dead. That bo- the body that is sown is perishable and it's raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor and raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Listen, how can something as corruptible of us put on incorruption? It's impossible on our own, but yet God can do that. We get so hung up on the promises that God makes to us that we forget to say in that scripture where it says, but God has determined it. Let God determine the work of the seed that he has promised you. Stop looking for the fruit and just let him work because he's working. I've seen so many people over the years get hung up on a promise. What would it be if I planted a seed And I walked out every day and I dug that seed up to see what it was doing. And then I buried it. And then I went and I I came back a few days later and I looked at it again. What do you think would happen? It's not going to grow. And if it does grow, we need more of those seeds. I'm just saying. (laughs) And if it did grow, the the fruit is not going to be very good. You can't plant a seed in distrust, it takes a level of faith when you're planting it, right? 
you have to apply your faith to the promise and leave it there and trust God to do his work and he is working. And though it might seem impossible, he makes the impossible possible. He does. In fact, when we look at our past sometimes, I think we only remember sometimes the bad or the failures that we have. We don't see God at work. And I was talking to my son oh, a month or so ago and was talking about how when I grew up, that it, life was crazy. And um, the friends that I had, well, I wasn't saved at the time. And so we did a lot of things that we shouldn't have been doing, got into lots of trouble. And um, we'll just leave it at that. So I was talking to him about some of my friends, and one of my friends, well, we went out and we were partying one night, and uh, I, I had fallen asleep, passed out, and uh, they had taken my car and stolen it and went on a joyride, pulling the emergency brake in the middle of the winter, and I didn't find out about it until I woke up in the morning. And I said, it matters who you, you associate with. It matters who you hang out with. You might believe, but those people can affect you. So fast forward to a couple of days later, I'm running an errand here in Pleasant Hill to a place of business and I'm there and I'm picking up something and as I'm picking it up, the guy that's, that's, that's talking to me um, has this unusual cadence that I haven't heard in 20 years. So as he's, he's talking to me, I said, hey, are you so-and-so? It was that friend, stole my car. I said... I said, I'm Justin Wirtz. He said, hey, it's nice to meet you. He had no idea who I was. I said, no, I'm Justin, friend of, from high school, friend of this person. And he said, no way. He said, you look completely different. <laughs> I'll take that as a good, a good thing, right? <laughs> and he's like, we were just talking the other day about stealing your car. And then he went on to say, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, I got out of, the, uh, out of where I grew up. And he's like, I got away from that. And he's like, I got a wife and kids. And he's like, my life's completely different. And I wouldn't change a thing. And I'm thinking, I'd change something. I'm like, there's one thing I would like to change. <laughs> but he went on to say this. He said, you know, because we're talking about I'm a pastor over here at Berean now. And he said, you know what? You were always one of the good ones. He said, you're always talking us out of doing even stupider things. Yeah. You know, I had forgotten that because I only remembered all the bad things. I had forgotten all the things that I, when I thought about that I had stopped them from doing that would have been really bad. And you know, it reminded me of this one truth. That God works on us even when we can't see it. That there are things even before we believe that God is working in us and growing in us seeds that are there that are growing up that I had no idea until somebody else pointed them out the other piece in the song talks about the promise of the light declaring his light Zechariah recounts it as a work of light because of God's mercy to his ancestors. He realizes that he is not in a great spot. Like the people know they're not in a great spot. But if you look at this song, it has a really striking resemblance to the first chapter of Matthew, the genealogy. It has David in there. It has Abraham in there. And it even has that like 14 generations where like nothing is happening. Like it's a dark place. 
Think about that. And why is that there? Well, because God is orchestrating the story, but they both share some common um, some commonalities between the two of them. Those things mattered to those people. And, and Zechariah is giving voice to that, recognizing that we're not in a good place, but God, because of his mercy, is shining this light. It's a light. And light, you know, shines in the darkness. He helps us when we can't see. He does. You know, if you've ever went out and you've, you've hunted, do you know when the coldest time is? It's just as like light breaks the dawn. For whatever reason, I would think it should get immediately warm, but it doesn't. It gets just a little bit colder. And I will tell you, sometimes even when it feels like it's the coldest in your life, dawn is breaking. And in this scripture, it's dawn that breaks like it's coming straight out of heaven. It's not breaking a little bit over, over the sides of the cleft of the mountain. It's, it's like high noon in your life. And that is how quick God can shine his light. Malachi chapter 4 talks about that the, the rays that are shining down, that there's healing in his rays. That there's healing that happens just from standing on the promise of his light and just letting it soak into your life. This light carries with it the persona of a shepherd. It shines in the shadow, of the, va- the shadow of death. Psalm 23 is our good shepherd. Think about this. Light leads the blind, but a shepherd leads the ones that can see. So no matter where we are, blind or we can see, we just don't know where to go. He helps us. He helps us. You know that? He does. And the last piece is this. The promise of joy is found in recognizing God is including us in his redemptive story. You are a part of his story. And he wants you to be a part of it. The second half of this song that Zechariah is is giving forth is about John the Baptist. It's about his son. He is celebrating in the song. God is celebrating in the song this great declaration that John is going to be born to make the path straight. Think about that. Imagine the joy of Zechariah that he is being chosen for this moment that his family would play a critical role in the raising of John the Baptist. Do you know why John the Baptist was who he was? It wasn't just because he was filled with the Spirit from birth. It was because of his parents. They raised him in what the Scripture says and what right and wrong meant. He was a Nazarite. They would have had to have taken great care to protect John from eating and touching certain, th- certain things. Like they had to be really committed to the process. And I'm saying to you, we have to also be committed to the process of understanding that God is wanting you to reach the world around you. Your family, your kids, the people next door to you, anywhere. Now I wonder... This morning, if I have Pastor Nathan come back, 
I wonder how many here have already decorated their house inside for Christmas? Yep. How many here have decorated their house like gone crazy? How many here would, is afraid to admit that, but is not afraid to admit that their spouse went crazy? <laughs> Listen, how did that happen? Was it because, dear Jesus, make my house most decorative this Christmas night? And then it happened, right? No, of course not. That would be silly. It happened because you got personally involved. Involved in the joy, involved in the process, involved in the story. And I'm suggesting you this, this morning, that joy is found in the redemption process. It's found in declaring the, pros the promises that God has laid out for us this morning. And it's in recognizing that you are a part of that story. And God wants you to take part. If you'll stand with me right now in this place. So I want to come full circle. Where in the world do we start? Right here. Right here. It starts by just saying, God, fill me not in my compartment, but Holy Spirit, fill me in such a way that it bleeds over into every single piece of my life, that it touches me, it touches my heart way down deep, it touches my brokenness, it touches the promises that I've shoved away and those prayers that I've laid to rest, it touches every single thing, that it touches my kids, that it touches my family, that it touches those around me, the, the places of influence, every single place. So this morning, where do you start? We start by the most simplistic thing that we can do. Holy Spirit, fill me up to overflowing. Could we do that this morning as we sing together one more time? Come on, let's do it.
You know, it's funny that Pastor Nathan shared that song. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but that is probably the first song of joy that I remember singing when I got saved. When I took all of my CDs and I said, I'm done with all of that, and God, I give my life wholeheartedly to you. That song is the first song that I can remember, a song shouting to, I can remember standing in the pews when we had pews back then and leaning like as far as I could with my hands up toward God. I'm telling you, when you just give your life to him, he can change you completely to the uttermost from head to toe. And I'm telling you like I'm telling you, God can bring joy into your life in a moment. It's not something that has to work, except the Spirit who can work in you, that it work to overflowing. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would do whatever work that you wanna do. Lord, that you would fill each person here to overflowing with your joy. Lord, to stand on your promises with a gigantic declaration, God, that you have saved us, forgiven us, rescued us. And Lord, that we can trust you. Lord, may that produce the joy that only you can give, that's a recognition that you are leaning in toward us. In Jesus' name, and everyone shouted, amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor right now, look him square in the eye and say, it's a beautiful day. All right.